Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I want to be able to talk about drum beats, um, the call of God and drum beats. Um, but she was, she was going to give me a, what do you call it, a drum roll before I started preaching, but no. Um, but Jen, Jen and I have got a couple of things set up. You know, sometimes drum beats, um, well, most times drum beats come with an intentionality and a clarity. There's something very specific, and as soon as you hear the drum beat, there's like a, oh, I know what that's about. So, for example, if the soldiers were marching to war, like the Napoleonic Wars or uh, the American Civil Wars, you heard something like this. And so there was a rhythm that came that everyone really knew. And there were other rhythms which you probably didn't want to hear, like if you're on your way to the gallows or the execution block or the guillotine, you probably would have heard something like this. You really wouldn't want to hear that, but there's actually a tone that went out that people did actually hear. Um, but in the prophetic, what I'm sensing, and Pastor Viv has alluded to it already, there's, there's, there's a, an elevation in the prophetic going on in the church, um, for the church globally, but there's something that's um, embryonic, that's grown in the church, which is starting to come to another level. But we've had like a prophetic rhythm. There's been a beat that's been going on. There's been a, like a, there's a regular beat that's actually pulsed, which has been good, and it's been God. But as people have prayed, there's been a, there's been a speeding up. There's been a, like a double timing that's been going on. And we're starting to sense there's a double timing. There's a speeding up. There's a new rhythm going on in the spirit. And this morning, we want to be able to talk about drum beats. Thanks, Jen. Have a crunchy call. Have a crunchy for yourself on your way down. But the thing is, drums are designed for a purpose. And uh, there's a... There's an intentionality about that. Every day we get out of bed, I believe, we have to have an intentionality. We just don't want to do another day. There has to be a reason why we get out of bed, and it's not to feed the cat or to feed the dog or feed ourselves. It's hopefully to change the world. I was doing a conference a number of years ago in what is called the Golden Triangle in northern Thailand, and all these tribal people were there. And, and in the morning when we woke up, we heard this, the sound that was coming. It was like, dong. Dong, dong, dong. And after a while we thought, what's this? Dong, dong, dong. And they said, oh, we're all, everyone's going up the hill to the church. And literally you see people getting out of their uh, houses, out of their, their pole houses, and they were coming up this hill and they put their churches right up top of the hill and they all were migrating up the top of the hill to the church. So every time there was dong, 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 people knew to get up and go to the church. Or what was really good for me, when I heard this sound, it was like ding, 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 ding. And we learned after a day, ding, 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 meant there's a big feast on, come, come and eat. So it was really good just to hear that ding, 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 ding. And I was actually thinking this morning while I was walking the dog, I thought, what would actually happen if they had like a feast in the church? And it would have been like dong, ding, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong, ding, ding. But seriously, there was a sound that went out. There was an articulated sound that people heard for a reason. And there was a response with that. I believe even Jesus Christ himself, born into a season for a purpose, 
that there was an intentionality for his life, but every day I believe that he would have realised there's a mandate on my life, there's a call on my life, there's purpose for my life. What am I supposed to be doing? Led by the Spirit. We pick up this in Luke's uh, Gospel, uh, chapter 4 and verse 18, and you probably know what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery uh, to the sight to, uh, for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's an amazing scripture. Um, as I predicted it, Jesus picked up and he responded to, to that. That was the anthem for his life. Some scriptures even talk about the spirit of the living God upon me. Not at some dead God, but the spirit of the living God upon him. That scripture isn't just for Jesus Christ himself. I believe it's a mantle for the church. It's a mantle for us as individuals. There's a purpose for us every day when we get out of bed as well. Um, let's not use each day as another day. Let's use it with more intentionality. Uh, listening to the voice of the Spirit to give us directions, to do certain things, to follow his leading. And as we do, we're going to see the prophetic flow, because that's part of the prophetic. We're going to see God do things in the miraculous, signs and wonders. As we're led by the Spirit, all sorts of amazing things will happen. Um, so what sort of message are you sending out? You know, hopefully you're not just a, a drone. You know, um, that will be a sad testimony. Um, in, a, in Africa, um, one of the African sayings there, which I, I really love, it says, um, there is only one crime worse in the desert, and that is to know where water is and not to tell anyone about it. <laughs> Profound, isn't it? But as Christians, this isn't just an African uh, proverb or a Congolese prof proverb. We know the gospel, but what a crime it would be for us to have this message and keep it to ourselves. And I think what the Lord is doing is starting to unzip our mouth. He's starting to open up the reservoir, the well, the living water from within to gush forth, not to bottle it up, but to let it out. As part of the intentionality of the spirit of the living God living, uh, living and working in and through us, we can't afford to know that people are living in the desert, this planet, and not tell anyone about the life that they can have in heaven for eternity. You know, they're not on a one-way trip to hell. They can actually get out of that um, frustrating situation and find themselves redeemed, set apart for a purpose. There was a missionary in Africa, quite a wise missionary, I believe, and I'll read you something about him. One of our porters was a very clever drum beater. He could send any message by his talking drums. Messages were normally sent out in the call of the evening since sound was uh, far better at the time. It carried far better at that time of day. However, in the early mornings around 4am to 5am, we also heard the some, uh, these, these drums beating. Village after village. Da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. What was going on? We are simply proclaiming a message. We're sending the news. We're sending a message both to the living and also to the dead, since they were animistic um, uh, people and they worshipped their ancestors. Hmm, my husband said to the porter, could you send a message on our behalf? Not only to the dead, but also to the living. And the porter said, yeah, I think we can do that. What's the message going to be? So my husband explained, he said, it will be the message of the gospel. Wow. Please send it out. 
in the evening so people can talk about it. So this is the message. The creator who made man, the owner of the forest, he sent his only son to die on a tree, which was a cross piece. He received a spear wound in his side. He died for us because he loved us so much. He died for those that carry the, the, the shield and the spear that was talking about men. He also died for those who bear children, that's the woman. He also died for those reclining in chairs, that's the old people. And also for those running around with uh, pattering feet, obviously the children. He's not dead at all, but he's very much alive. When you go into the forest, he's going to be with you. Believe in him and he will be with you through all time. Well, the message went out in the evening. It drew much attention. It uh, drew lots of conversation. And people came seeking more information about this remarkable person. We weren't always surprised at the response because the response was so good. Not all people responded, but the message went out without fail. The drumbeats conveyed a message to the world around them. People understood what those messages were. You know, uh, way back through the Middle Ages, they built cathedrals all the way through Europe. What would happen um, on a daily basis, the uh, cathedrals would have bells. And, you know, 10 o'clock, there'd be 10 chimes, 11 o'clock, 11 chimes, 12 o'clock, 12 chimes. People knew what the time was. They also sounded the, the bells in, this, in the um, cathedrals in important occasions, like a wedding. You know, there was celebration. Everyone knew what was happening. And also on Sunday morning, there was a ringing in the steeples in the cathedrals, and people would flock from their villages to the churches or to the cathedrals. A message went out. Well, the Red Indians in America, they sent out messages as well. They didn't use drums, they used smoke signals. Here the sky is actually loading up um, signals to, uh, uplo uploading the signals to cloud. Um, but the thing is, all cultures have a way of getting their message conveyed. They can't keep it to themselves, they have to release it. Because they would be like an indictment. If you had good news and you didn't tell someone about it, there would obviously be, the guilt is on your shoulders. Thing is, there's like a ripple effect. We don't know what happens when we make a statement, either verbally or through an action in our life. The ripple effects will keep on going. We don't know where those ripple effects are going to go. But there will be a message that is sent out. And so the next slide you'll see, the fact is we've got, um, I mean, yeah, uh, drum beats go out. Uh, you can't see it so clearly, but you've got a sender um, in one spectrum, and on the other you've actually got a receiver. And so we're sending a message out that it has to be conveyed to people. What happens, the enemy gets involved in the middle, and we get all the static and all this noise that would seek to distort or mute um, that signal. I can remember when my dad was um, when, when I was growing up, my dad liked to play the saxophone and the clarinet. And in that house, we had a fairly large house, but the saxophone and clarinet noise was just too much. So my brother Craig and I would go and find dead undies and um, old socks and shove them down the throat of the saxophone to try and muzzle the sound. I'm so pleased that we never had our girls learn to play the drums. They learned you know, sort of normal instruments. But can you imagine a household where people are um, playing the drums? And even in music practices, we, have, we did a lot of band stuff before, but we used to have to get pillows and actually muffle the, the, the drums. Or we put tea towels and towels and cushions over the drums just to suppress the sound sometimes. Um, 
But I think what's happening is the Lord is taking the cushions off the church. He's taking the muffler off the church. He's taking the rags, the tea towels, the towels off so that the, cl- the clarity of the sound is going to be clearer, more pristine and more understandable. Not grey and wishy-washy, but unmistakable for what it is. Thing is, as Christians, and this talks, we, we see this when we, when we read the Second Corinthians uh, 3 verse uh, 2, it says, we are all living epistles. An epistle is a letter. We are living epistles, written and read by all men. That's quite a powerful statement. You know, there's nothing written in between the lines of our life. There should be that clarity, that understanding of who we are. Um, this is the next the thing that says, most, no, go back to the other slide. Go back one. Can you go back? That's it, yeah. Most of the world around us doesn't even read the Bible. That's a fact of life. Some might sort of glance at it. Most time it's, it's actually going to be on a shelf in a, a room in the house never getting looked at. But the thing is, God gave us living epistles. That's you and me. Why? Because we've got a message to proclaim. You know, we can't keep our message to ourselves. You know, once upon a time, I can remember when I was in Las Vegas for a conference once, I saw this guy marching down the road with a sandwich board. And on the front it had a scripture, Don uh, 3.16. You know, and I saw him another day later and he had another one, turn or burn. And I'm thinking, that's pretty crazy. (laughs) He didn't have a t-shirt. He wasn't a living epistle, but he was a walking, literally he was a a walking um, advertisement to try and draw people's eyes to the cross. Focus on Jesus, focus on the church. Sometimes it was done wisely, sometimes it wasn't done so appropriately. But there was a message that got out. I've got a small joke for you this morning too. Uh, This is especially for Paul. This is a dad joke. It's sense that it's okay. What do you get when you cross a parrot and a dog? I don't know. What do you get when you cross a dog and... Yeah, we've got that now. Uh, What we get is actually a walkie-talkie. A dog and a parrot, we get a walkie-talkie. But the thing is, we're supposed to be called walkie-talkies. You know, and the thing was, we are walkie-talkies. Yeah. And so what God, is, what God is doing is actually charging us up. He's plugging us in and he's turning us on. We're supposed to be walkie-talkies. We've got to convey our faith. We've got to express the message that we carry within. Um, Every day Jesus got out of bed, obviously. Um, but there was an intentionality. And this is what it says in um, um, the Gospel of Matthew 4 and 19 and 20. It says, first thing he said, come follow me. He's obviously speaking to uh, Peter and the, uh, the early apostles. And he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So the intentionality was, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He was, he was lifting the game plan, taking them to another level. These commercial fishermen that knew fishing, they loved fishing, they enjoyed the outdoors, and they were successful most times, God had a better plan for them. And I believe, yes, we are all called to be fishers of men as well. And God has got a better plan for us. And it's like he's taking us up to a whole new level to do life with much more intentionality and much more purpose. You know, when, the, when they talk about fishers of men, it wasn't just an empty statement. Um, the early Testament, went into, uh, early Testament church went into persecution. Um, it wasn't easy for them. And one of the things that uh, the early church was known for 
as this fish signal um, on the left-hand so side of the screen there. And so what would happen, people were walking down the road and they would see someone who was a Christian or thought they were Christians, and they would actually write in the sand that fish signal uh, um, sign. And if they didn't write it with their finger, they would get their toe as they're talking to people, and they'd just actually put that in the sand. And so people knew that they were Christians. So, yes, they were keeping their faith to themselves, but they really couldn't keep it to themselves still. But this is how profound it was. The message from their life was clear. And so what is the signal? What is the sign giving out from your life? God is calling us to follow him, to serve him, to honour him, but to do something for him, to become fishers of men. And I think we have to be wiser, more intentional about how we actually bait our hooks, where we cast our lines, where we cast our net to bring the harvest in. And we're starting to see that take place more and more. God can pick on anyone, and he does. He picked on Peter, who was just a, a fisherman. He t picked on tax collectors. He picked on young Mary, who was a young girl, to have... Now, obviously, a baby to become Jesus. God picks on anyone. He picks on me, Viv, Chris. He's picking on you for a reason. A number of years ago, I was running a mission agency called World Outreach here in New Zealand, and I had about 150 New Zealand missionaries, the families and the children, on the field. But one of our missionaries was actually from England, and he was in a normal church service like this. And someone was preaching. I don't know the full story, but he and his wife were called into ministry. Not into pastoral ministry, but they're called to be missionaries. And God was telling them to go to the island of Madagascar, which is in the Indian Ocean. Big responsibility. Well, this guy had never been to Bible college, never been formally trained. What he was is he was a radio technician. He loved building radio things and antennas and doing all that nerdy sort of technical sort of stuff. And God picked on him and he said, I want you to go to Madagascar. So long story short... He prepared, got some finances together. The church commissioned and they prayed for him. And the prophetic words came saying, I'm going to look after you and your family. And you're going to know that you're in my hand and, and I'm going to care for you every day of your life. And that's going to, you're going to know that. And you're going to see these churches get started and they're going to grow and they're going to develop. And you will be amazed with what I do in the churches. And then I'm also going to call you to do leadership seminars and training. And you're going to have people respond to the gospel through radio. And they'll hear the gospel, and they'll have to train them through seminars. Long story short, they went to Madagascar, and they were there for about seven or eight years. And he set up a radio station pretty much every year while he was there. And so they had this network of radio stations through the island of Madagascar, a very mountainous, very difficult uh, country to travel on. And believe it or not, people heard the gospel message through the radio. So the drum beats went out, the radio message went out. People responded in their hundreds and in their thousands. So they ended up putting uh, new church plants together, and they, were planted, they planted about 140 churches. Just this radio technician, never been to Bible college. And then all these people were coming, and we said as a leadership, you're going to have to start to do some leadership uh, seminars, so bringing the people in. And so they did, they did two or three leadership seminars every year for around about 7,000 people. It was right out there. Well, one day they had this massive big seminar and Walter was up this ladder, right up this tower, trying to fix this transmitter. And he came down, he wasn't feeling too good, he was feeling, you know, didn't know what was happening, and he had a major coronary heart attack and <laughs> splattered on the ground. And all the, his team members were there, the national workers were there, and they thought, well, what do we do? He's dead. Well, someone says, well, his wife's got to know. And so they, they went through his pocket and they find his, found his cell phone. 
And so they figured out how to call his wife, who was on the other side of Madagascar. And so they're getting this message. Walter, your husband has just died. And so this woman went into a major pity party. God, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? We've got our children. You promised that you're going to look after me every day of my life, and that's not happening, obviously. And we've got all these churches, all these churches, and I have no idea how to be a pastor or lead one church, let alone 140 churches. And we've got all these seminars planned, uh, planned, and I've got no idea how to teach or train people. This just is not fair. Walter Cox, you've got to come back to life right now. Literally on the far side of Madagascar, Walter is standing up. This is about three hours after he died. And he's looking for his cell phone. And he said, I've got to call my wife. And so they gave the cell phone back, and it was like, hi, dear, Walter. And she's obviously just about having a coronary now as well. And it's like, Walter's saying, hey, I've been in heaven. It's an amazing place. I can't begin to tell you about it. But the Lord, he's told me to come back to earth. But I've only got three more hours on earth. But in those three hours, I've got to convey a message directly from the Lord himself to you. And the first thing is, your welfare and the welfare of the children is in the palm of my hand. I'm going to look after you more now than ever before. And so the wife's on the other side of Madagascar thinking, <coughs> and the next thing is, those churches are my churches. Get your grubby hands off them. It's like, <coughs> oh, and by the way, those seminars that are planned have been committed to me and I'm going to make them more successful as the years go by. <laughs> they had some time together before Walter had another major heart attack and he died. God can choose anyone. He was a radio technician. He can choose a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. For some crazy reason, he's picked Viv and James and me and Chris and Freddie, you know. Even Sue, for some crazy reason, you know, they're still figuring that one out. But God is doing something for a purpose in and through our life for a reason. There was a guy called uh, Genghis Khan. Kublai Khan was his father. Kublai Khan was one of the greatest um, Mongolian leaders in Mongolia, you know, like inner China. And what happened, um, they had these... uh, these mission, and, well, they weren't missionaries. They were um, they were uh, tradespeople. They were um, wanting to sell goods, and they came out. And we probably know the story, you know, a little bit. But um, what happened? The message came out that um, oh, the Marco Polo. You probably rec- remember Marco Polo. Him, his dad came out initially. Then Marco Polo came out on a ne- next trip after that. And Kublai Khan said to the Polos. Can you please send me 100 missionaries and then within one generation all my people will become Christians? What an amazing plea from a leader of people. Will you send me 100 missionaries? So the Polos went back, they went to the Pope. What happened? Nothing. No one responded. Can you imagine now if 100 missionaries responding to the call had come back to China or Mongolia that whole Eastern Asia block would be Christian now. What happened? People failed to respond to a call. 
Jump forward till 1945, the Second World War is just in its final phases. Uh, General Douglas MacArthur was in Japan, and he said, send me 10,000 missionaries to Japan, please. What happened? Only a handful went to Japan. You know, there was a vacuum after the war. Um, Christianity could have been just all the way through that uh, devastated nation. Only one or two people responded. Thing is, the message still has to go out. We have to convey the drumbeats. We've got to convey the message. We've got to present it in a way that people can understand. And it will be different for different people. Um, when I first went to Thailand, um, I met this amazing man up here. Uh, he looked like uh, Abraham, big beard. Uh, he was ancient, and no one really knew how old he was. And I spoke to him. I said, how did you ever become a Christian? And he said, oh, it was in 1932 I was in Bangkok and I was walking down the street and I saw this piece of paper on the ground and I didn't know what it was, so I bent down and I picked it up and it had words on and I started to read the words and it told me half of the gospel. He said, why only half the gospel? He said, someone taught it in half. But he said, what had actually happened, it aroused my curiosity, so I had more questions than answers, and then I became a Christian. Well, for his lifespan, he was 45 years wandering around northern Thailand, Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai, um, up in the, the Golden Triangle, preaching the gospel. And so we went into this uh, village to do a seminar because we just commissioned a church, to build a church for about 350 people. And all these people, about uh, 2,000 people, had come to the uh, commissioning of this church. And this is where we met this man. We were trying to preach, and uh, our translator was getting decked in the Holy Spirit. Every time we asked for a translator to come, the, the translator was getting decked, and it's like, does anyone else speak English? And someone else would come, and then crunch, they were on the floor. Look, does anyone else speak English? And someone else would come, oh, not very well, but I will try. And crash, he's on the ground, and it's like, oh, what are we doing? And then all of a sudden, this old man, you know, he was, he was, he was on the deck. And, and the people were thinking, we wondered how this old man was going to die because he looked like he was dead. And we said, no, he's not dead, he's just resting before God. And we started to hear his story, how he was an evangelist led by the Spirit, but he had this, like, this message that had to get out. And as he did, he said, people responded. It was amazing. And we understood that he led over 35,000 people to the Lord in his lifespan as he went out with a message. It wasn't a complicated message, it was a simple message. How did it happen? It started by one piece of paper, half piece of paper really, with a message on. Someone had actually gone and delivered that message. It doesn't take much. One seed in the ground can grow a tree. One seed in the ground can actually grow a whole forest, a whole orchard. And that's what we're starting to see. There's an ampl amplification, there's, a, there's an acceleration of what God is doing. Friends, the Great Commission wasn't just given to the 12 disciples. Just pick this up and read it to you because it's so important. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. We probably all know the scripture. But it said, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so that was a very powerful statement. But the thing is, we all have this message, we all have this instruction, we all have this delegated authority from heaven for this earth, for a reason. We've got all the instructions, but what we don't have is excuses. 
we've got to respond. And I think we need to wake our ideas up that there are so many people on a one-way trip to hell and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card for these people. It's sad. Um, I've known three people this week who had funerals. And um, it's sad. And fortunately, each of them had had a name written on the Lamb's Book of Life. They were redeemed. They were set apart. Someone had got a message into their life. You know, Jesus got out of bed with intentionality. We need to do the same. Um, when we did the prophetic uh, seminar training, I think one of the first things Pastor James talked about, every day he gets out of bed, he says, I commit my day to you, Lord. What am I supposed to be doing? May I be led by your spirit. And that's a powerful statement. And I think people cottoned on and they started to follow the same things, um, getting out of bed with a commitment to the, to the Lord in the beginning of the day. And then we're starting to see all these testimonies of what's happened in their life because God's doing, doing something in and through them. Well, Jesus, he went out, and, and this is Luke 4 uh, again, and a little bit further down in verse 38, it says this, Jesus went to the synagogue, then he went home to Simon. Um, now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent down and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait upon them. But it just wasn't kept within the four walls of that house. Somehow the message got out into the town and the villages around them. The word, the word spread, and it picks up in verse uh, 40. At sunset, the people brought uh, Jesus all these various kinds of sicknesses so that he could lay his hands on each one, and he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of people. Uh, they were shouting, You are the Son of God. What had happened? Jesus had done something. He'd gone to pray for someone with an intentionality. God responded. Obviously, there was a res result in the spirit. The word got out. The word spread. It was viral. It got out there. Then all these other people brought their sick people to Jesus. Why? Because they knew that he was the answer for their situation. The same authority that he's got to do that, we also have in our life. The disciples, they were quite wise in what they were doing as well. They learnt to model their life off Jesus. So when Jesus had died and gone back to heaven, we pick up some of the story in early Acts. And this is Acts 4 this time. Um, Acts 4 verse 38 and 40, it says, While, Meanwhile, Peter travelled from, from place to place and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydia. Lydia, by the way, was a, uh, a city halfway between the coast uh, the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem. It was a crossroads. It was a major crossroads. Um, and there he met a man called Aeneas who had been paralysed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your bed. And uh, he was healed instantly. And then it goes on to say, then the whole population of Lydia and Sharon saw uh, Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. One man stepping out in faith going somewhere, doing something, healing took place. The whole town, the whole region, Sharon was a district, this crossroads of the nation, uh, people heard and responded. I believe, friends, that people are at crossroads today. There's a, a really messed up, crazy world out there, and sometimes it seems to be getting worse, not better. In fact, the Bible says it will get darker before, it, it will get worse before it gets better. Um, it's going to get worse and worse. But I tell you what, we need to know that we're on the right team. We've got to be on the right side. Um, and the decisions are made. And people will not go and read their Bible naturally. You are their best insight to what the gospel is. We are walking, living epistles. And we need to 
not be like Superman ripping our shirts open and sewing the big S on our shirt or chest or anything, but we've got to be wise. We've got to be open to what the Spirit is saying. And I just sense that the Lord is actually doing some fresh things. There's an elevation in the prophetic. There's an elevation. We talk about a rising tide. There's a, there's a, there's a rising tide of urgency. There's a rising tide of just the anointing and grace of God on churches. We don't want to go to church just to go to church. We want to go to church to be the church. Uh, this has to be the coaching room to change the world through the week. Um, you know, we can get all inspired and, and that's all good. You know, but we've got to focus on the main thing. Uh, the Great Commission's friend is to everyone. You know, what did it say? The spirit of the living God is upon me. That was the promise to Jesus. He knew that. He claimed it for himself. But that testimony is exactly the same for us, the church today. The spirit of the living God is upon me. He's anointed us to preach the gospel, to set captives free, to bring liberty to a world that is so beyond description. It's so messed up. Now, I don't know where you are today. I know someone's obviously had some fairly bad experiences. They're crushed. The Lord's gathering your tears in a bottle. Not a little communion timble cup. Not a bottle. It's probably more like a bucket. Each tear he's got. Walter Cox was a radio technician in England. He was a palm, you know, but he responded. What's God calling you to do in and through your life? Is he asking you to do something radical like become a missionary? Samu and um, Susanna going to Fiji. Um, call of God on their life with intentionality. But as they step out, we're going to hear the stories. We're going to hear the testimonies and we're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I be part of that? Whoa. Maybe it's that God's actually saying, I want you to go and start a new ministry, you know, with prison people or whatever. The out and, out and outs. Working with prostitutes. God knows your address. He's giving specific instructions to do specific things for a reason. It might be something as simple as making some date scones, climbing over your back fence and giving the date scones to your neighbour who you don't even know. A clear way to be able to get into someone's home and start a conversation. Well, why are you doing this? I don't know. Um, I just feel I want to be a blessing. Well, what's a blessing? Well, I'm a Christian and God wants us to bless people. Oh, really? Can I know a bit more about Christianity? Conversations will open up. It might be that God is saying, hey, I want you to do a first-time mission trip somewhere. Hallelujah. 